0: Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Okay, I want to go back to a verse that we went through last week, talked a lot about this, is Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. You'll remember it if you were here. If not, you've heard it so many times, this will be familiar to you. It says, There will be no more gloom for those in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned." So we had that from last week, and, and we talked about the promises of those verses, just how great this just you know, what God is doing here, and, and what all this points to. But I want to consider three other words for just a minute, and those two verses. And there are three words that we don't talk a whole lot about, um, three words that we'd rather not have to face anytime soon, but those words are gloom. Distress and darkness. These are three words that, by the way, made for a very funny song years ago on Hee Haw about relationships and marriage. Um, Roll this clip real quick, because I don't know who would remember this one. But let me just show you. (laughs) bear agony of me my wife was so unhappy she started to pack but i figured i could get us back on the right track so i give her a weekly allowance but you fellas know how that is is. So Cause she spent it before i had a chance to borrow it back Fresh and excessive misery if it for bad luck I'd have no luck at all Doom, despair, despair and agony on me ah, 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 ah. All right, again, a, a comical song uh, but a horrible reality. When you think of these three words, you know, it, it makes us laugh when we see it on a hee-haw which, thank the Lord, is long gone. But... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's a fun little song, but it's, this is a horrible reality. This is a miserable place to be. If you've ever been here, if you've ever experienced this, people that you know and you love, for these nasty three, when they enter into life, it, it, it just, it, oh, my gosh, it's a bad thing. Gloom, misery, dis- uh, sadness, and despair. To think about distress, anguish, agony, suffering. And then, of course, the last one, darkness. We all know what darkness is. That is when the lights go out and we are blinded and we can't move in any direction safely. Who wants this experience? Who wants to go down this road? Does anybody want to sign up for gloom, distress, and darkness? Absolutely not. But I do want you to understand that at the time of Jesus' coming, when we talk about Advent, the world that he came down into was experiencing this profoundly. God's people, when Jesus Christ came, they were a people of gloom, despair, agony, darkness, distress, all of it. You know, just before Jesus entered the world, Israel was in a place, God's people, where they had been overrun by Rome, and um, they were under absolute domination so, for the average Jew in, the, in that time period, in that place, they knew all about a little thing called excessive taxation. You know, we moan and groan about our taxes, but folks, in those days, they were at the whim not only of Rome that took their taxes, but they were at the, at the mercy of tax collectors who could add 10 15% at the drop of a hat. Here they were, Israel, being taxed. Under a military state, guards everywhere, under the thumb of a merciful, a merciless, I'm sorry, foreign dictator. God's people had no voice and they had absolutely no vote. And their one answer, during this time and it, it, this had been true throughout all the times they had known suffering, or gloom, despair and agony time they, they had ever come into this, there had been one saving grace for them, and it had always been their life of worship. Israel always had this opportunity and this rich worship life of the one true God. But just before Jesus came into the world, the temple had become a place that was really being run by a bunch of legalists, very rigid legalists who were just squeezing the life out of worship in the temple. And see, for God's people, they were really on the bottom looking up, gloom despair, agony for everybody, whoa, I mean, it was just it was a bad place to be. And so what Israel needed was they needed something or someone big enough and strong enough to come in and break both the power of Rome and the power of religion at that time. And folks, this is going to have to be somebody bigger. You know, we're all into superheroes these days, Justice League and Avengers and X-Men. This is going to have to be something or someone much bigger. And there was only one answer for the people of God, and it was what we celebrate, the candles we light. These people needed Advent. Only God Himself could come down in the midst of this, overthrow all that, and change everything. This is an impossible time for them. And so it's going to have to be the God who does impossible wonderfully well to come and change it. And, of course, you and I sit on another side of history, and so we know that 2,000 years ago, God did this through Jesus Christ. On the first Christmas, Jesus Christ came, and and the script just was completely flipped. And three of these candles that we light every single Advent, they, they tell us what Jesus Christ did. They tell us the results of His coming. You know, Jesus came, and He brought joy in place of gloom. Jesus came, and he, and he brought peace that replaced that distress. And then, of course, there was this hope that it was an incredible light just, just piercing and shining through this darkness. And these themes are wonderful, right? I mean, they encourage us every year. We look forward to this. But there, there's still something missing in, in Advent if we just take those three, and it, it's a question that comes up. And the question is, Why? Why would God come down here and rescue all these people? You know, what would motivate God to come down here and turn it around for all of these miserable souls, especially because of something they did? I left it out, especially because the gloom, the darkness, the distress, the agony was all caused by the people that Jesus Christ came to save. You add that in, and this question of why, it becomes a big question. And we can review it for just a minute. You know, what what exactly have they done? Well, just go all the way back to Genesis. I referred to it last week. Do you remember, in the beginning, God created a perfect world, a perfect world for someone to live in, actually someones. He created this world for people to live in, people that were created in His own image, in His own likeness, created to, to work with God and created to relate to God and love God, made in His image. And then even beyond the perfect world, God went a step further and He created a perfect home in the middle of the perfect world for Adam and Eve. And I've called it before the penthouse of creation. The Garden of Eden, this lush, vibrant, perfect place just for them. And then if that weren't enough, God gives the first man, Adam, the perfect job. You talk about being satisfied in your career. God gives Adam a job that is perfectly suited for his interests and his talents. And if that weren't enough, and I think it probably is enough, but God went a step further. Then God gave them instructions on how not just to live down here, but how to thrive down here. And in those instructions, God included one very important warning. There is one thing that you must stay away from. There is one thing that if you partake of it, it will wreck and ruin everything. And what did mankind go out and do the very first two? They went out and they did that one thing. And then when God came to talk to them about it, in, in, in this, this moment of God, I mean, here's an advent, right? The first advent, God comes down. What do, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide, and then they lie, and when they get to the end of that, well, they turn around and they play the blame game. And who do they blame? Well, everybody they can, right? Adam starts off by blaming both God and his wife. Well, you know, God, it was this woman that you gave me. And then when it comes to Eve's turn, what does she do? Well, she does the old, oldest blame trick in the, in the book. She blames the devil. And see, it's not just them, though, is it? Every generation that followed Adam and Eve did the very same thing and still does the very same thing. We go out and we mess with the one thing, this thing called sin. And so, again, the question for you and I is why? Why? Why would God do this? Why would he rescue these people who caused all this in the very first place? Why would God come down here and rescue a people like this? And Marcy McMillan told us in her Advent video, the answer is love. John 3.16, God so loved us. That he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the advent of God. He sent Jesus Christ. And so everyone now who believes in him will have eternal life. God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, which a whole bunch of us would have done, but he sent Jesus Christ to save the world. And then here's another question that Neil actually already answered without looking at my notes. I don't know how you pulled this off, Neil, but you did. Where did God get this kind of love from? You know, where, where did God go to access a love so great that it would rescue all of us? And the answer is nowhere. God didn't go anywhere to find that kind of love. That love was always inside of, of God. John, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God's DNA is love. And when you add into that Hebrews 13, 8, that God never changes. You know, yesterday, today, forever the same. Well, that tells us one thing about God. No matter what God does, no matter what God says, no matter what direction He moves, whether God instructs, whether God leads, even when God corrects and calls us to repentance, God always, always, always does it in love. And see, that tells us a lot about Jesus, right? Right? Because guess what Jesus is all about? Jesus himself is also all about the love of God. And we see that in every moment of Jesus' birth. You know, from beginning to end of the nativity, all we see is love. We start with this. We begin with where Jesus comes from, okay? And I'm talking about his family tree. Now, some would point to Joseph and Mary, but anyone who's heard the story, read the story, we know something about Jesus' father, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. Jesus' biological father is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, and that makes the Holy Spirit God. So Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father as his father, guess what Jesus' DNA is? It's love. It is the love of God. Jesus is literally a living miracle born of love. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is love. So he comes down like this, and then we get the night of his birth. Everything about the night of Jesus' birth reeks of love. The sky is littered with the love of God. It's supercharged with God's presence. Every enemy of God and man is kept away on the night of his birth. You know, I I love the different scenes we encounter. You know, we start with the wise man. One of the things that God does on that night is he takes a star, and God pushes the star so low that this star is now Joe Palusak. No, it's not Joe Palusak, but Joe. It is a GPS beacon for the wise men to follow. And so the wise men, they take off. They follow this star, and they find Jesus. And what do they do when they find Jesus? They are caught up in this moment of love and they worship Him. They adore Him. They pour out love. They give Him lavish gifts, just showing the love of God. Another scene, here are angels out in in, in a dark field, right, looking after their sheep, keeping them away from predators. What happens in the midst of all that darkness? All of a sudden, here is an angel, and this angel is radiating the love of God. The, 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 everything is lit up, and he gives them an announcement. A child, the Son of God has been born to you. Moments later, he's accompanied by an army of angels, and this army of angels is crying out together, glory to God in heaven, peace on earth with whom God is pleased. And the shepherds obey the angels, And they go and they're in absolute wonder. What are we going to discover? Can it be true? Is he really there? And they get there and they find him. And the shepherds are overcome by the love of God. And we know that they're overcome because they leave the nativity. When they leave, they go racing through the villages, just proclaiming that God has come. And you know, the townspeople have got to be like, man, what is going on with these guys? And then they return later to to their fields praising God. And then we've got Mary. You know what's happened to Mary? Oh, my gosh, Mary is caught. She is feeling the love. It says Mary treasured all of these things, all of these words that have been spoken in her heart. Again, the light of God and the love of God is everywhere. And then we have the life of Jesus. You know, as Jesus Christ grows up, he never breaks from the love of God for a moment. And, and he's like his father. You know, whether he's instructing, leading, even correcting, all we see, all we hear is the love of God. He reaches out to despicable sinners, terrible people that we we would throw away in a moment. What does Jesus do? He forgives them. He gives them a brand new heart. Jesus goes to the infirmed and the diseased people whose bodies are broken, and he heals their bodies You know, Jesus goes to the demonized. You talk about the kingdom of God is within us, right, because we're Christians. Well, the the kingdom of darkness is in these people. He goes to the demonized. He even goes to sexual prisoners, and Jesus sets them free. And for three years, he preaches the kingdom of God, the love of God, and people one by one. People by the, in, in droves, they get saved. For three years, it is nothing but the love of God for everyone that Jesus encounters. Now, we knew all that, but there is another storyline brewing throughout Jesus' whole life. And we don't often talk about this other story at the Advent, but we need to. There is something on the horizon the night that Jesus is born. There's something off in the distance. And only Jesus can see it. It's not visible to anybody but Jesus. And it's this thing called the cross. The cross is always in the distance of Jesus' life. I was thinking about this week, and it brought me to tears. I just thought, you know, every moment of Jesus' life, even as a child, but especially for those final three years, every day is another step toward the cross. where 33 years later, Jesus Christ will die as the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. It's the ultimate moment of God's love towards you and me. Jesus Christ will take our place. Everything that has been done and ever will be done, if we believe, if we get it, if we call on Him. Y'all, we are rescued. And then what happens to us when we become a Christian? Do we have a ticket to heaven? Absolutely, but so much more than that happens to us. Every one of us who says yes to Jesus Christ, we are given the love that this candle represents. This love is ours. We get a new heart. You know, we, we, we get a new passion for God. And by the way, that passion is part of what turns worship from song singing into just absolute devotion. And just a a moment of exchanging love every week with God or every time we sing in the car, you know, or worship God in prayer, we get this passion that is just unearthly. It's heavenly. We also get something else. Another benefit of the love of God in this salvation is we get a compassion for other people. You know, passion, and I don't mean for people who are like us, you know, or people who dress up on Sunday morning, but we get a compassion for all those other people out there who used to be like us. Maybe they're a little better or worse, but they're lost, and they're going in a completely different direction. We get the gift of God's love in us and on us forever, and we are never, ever the same. That's what Jesus does And so now how that affects our life is we go through life in a completely different way. You know, for us, we live out a very radical generosity as the people of God. You know, but before Jesus Christ, you hold on to your stuff tight. You meet Jesus and, you know, your hands just open and we give. We have deep rivers now of patience and peace towards people that nobody else can stomach. There is a power now in every one of us to even change the world that we live in. Sometimes radically, sometimes miraculously, sometimes we walk into a room and because we got the Spirit of God and heaven inside of us, the room just changes. All because of the love of God brought to us by our Emmanuel. All because of Jesus Christ who loved us, came down here at Christmas and died on the cross and was resurrected for you and I. You know, Matthew, when he, he talks about Jesus, um... He starts off his book, and just before he gives the genealogy that most of us hardly ever read, there's a lot in that genealogy, but he says something very interesting in the Greek, and, and he writes it this way. He says, this is the book of origin of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, through Jesus Christ, you guys get a new Genesis. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been in the Garden of Eden? Through Jesus, we get a new Genesis. We get a brand new beginning, and and what Matthew is saying is, look, this Genesis, this new beginning with Jesus is going to blow away the first Genesis. He's going to revive you. He's going to resurrect you. He is going to annihilate your gloom, your despair, and your darkness. Uh, He will come, and He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He's going to come, and He's going to carry His lambs in His arms and hold them close to His heart from this moment on. Forward because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to go back just a paragraph and talk about something else real quick. I gave you a description a minute ago of what Jesus is supposed to do to us, didn't I? You know, the power, the love, the peace, the new heart, the new outlook, the new perspective. I realized when I was writing this sermon that there were going to be many people here today, including a pastor that preaches, who sometimes feels like, you know what, that description actually does not fit me very well. I want you to know that if I, as I describe what Jesus Christ is supposed to do in the life of a person, you go, you know what, that's not me. As your pastor, I'll tell you this, that's not okay, and that's not good. But there is a remedy for that in our lives, for us being in that place Instead of this ideal place where we are a product of Advent, we are the result of the Holy Spirit's work, it is simply to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, the Advent, all over again. You know, there's some people in this room, they'll probably be more in the second service, who have never asked Jesus Christ into their lives. You, you've never welcomed Him before. And so when, you know, we, even we heard that song, that song wasn't even funny to Because gloom, despair, and agony is something that's very real in your life. But listen to this. Without Jesus Christ, that's our experience. You know, the wages of sin is death. But if you hear the message of Jesus Christ and you believe even today, you are a sincere, believing prayer away from the life, the love, the joy, the peace, Everything that Jesus Christ has come to do. you're a sincere prayer away. Some of us here have done this before, but the Bible uses a word to describe people, and it's sheep. Sometimes Christian, oftentimes Christians are the sheep we read about, and we all know it's true. We just have this way of wandering, you know, of, of, of trying to, to, to straddle both sides of the highway, you know? You can't stand in the middle of the highway. You're going to get run over this way and that way. And we find ourselves, if we're honest, just saying, you know, I've let the world in. You know, I've given in to, to fear, to anger, to, to offense, to all kinds of things, and my heart is not where it should be. This life that Jesus offers, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so far away. But again, the answer for that is a sincere, we're just a sincere believing prayer away. So one of the things I love about this church is we have this verse that we refer to quite often, right behind me. You know the answer all the time is, "If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, "I'm listening. Oh, I'll hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. It's the great promise of redemption." And so as your pastor today, I just want to say this, the love of God changes everything. Why in the world would we go through Advent or life without it? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. And Lord, I thank you again for the, just the, the gift of being able to turn in your direction at any moment because of Jesus Christ. Before that, the turning was nearly impossible to keep the rules, Lord, to, to walk through the standards of holiness. Your people failed for centuries, and yet you sent Jesus Christ to be our Emmanuel, God with us to change everything. And so, Father, we just say yes to that as a people. Lord, would you, would you come and truly make us the beloved today, all the way down through, our, through, through the soles of our feet. God, would you just come and, and love us upward and forward, deep into your heart. And Lord, would you change our world? Lord, would you change our church that needs it right now? Through every one of us, with the overwhelming, forgiving, blessing, love of God in Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.